So it's Luke 11, 1 through 4. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. All right, let's, um, let's begin in, in prayer, and then we will study God's word. Almighty God, we are thankful to be here in your presence. You are our good father and and you love us. And we want to live our lives in recognition of that. Thank you you so much for um, the time of worship we had this morning. Thank you that your name is praised in Fiji and all around the world. I pray that you'd help us keep our eyes open to your holiness and your goodness and live our lives understanding that you transcend our own personal lives where we live here, but your glory is filled throughout the world. Thank you that we can study together this morning and cultivate and grow and deepen our prayer life. I pray that it would be durable and strong. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Last couple Sundays, we've started with um, distractions that prevent us from praying. We've talked about reasons, things that happen in our lives that cause us not to pray. And I said that as a school teacher, you are bombarded with distractions and it's just a part of life and you, and you learn to deal with it. One of the things that that happened partway through my teaching career is this brilliant idea to give kids laptop computers in class and so they could write with a, I guess, a thousand dollar pencil is what we refer to it as a teacher. But you quickly learned that you could not stand in front of a classroom with eighth graders and a laptop. Quickly, they were distracted playing games, different things. And so you, you learned that if you wanted to have some control of your classroom, you'd have to wander the classroom. So I'm not going to do that this morning, but if you all had laptops, I would all be walking around the back and making sure you're on task because it's so easy to be distracted. In fact, occasionally, and this, I'm thinking of one particular boy student. The other thing that Apple laptops have, we all know, is they all have this really cool, great thing called a camera. And so you'd open up your laptop, And this one particular boy, who's now a freshman in college maybe, he would sit and just stare at himself on the screen. (laughs) And you're like, what are you doing? Like, you're that narcissist, you're that vain. You're 14, and you would just stare at yourself and just admire admire beauty. (laughs) There are all kinds of distractions all kinds of things in life that prevent us from praying. But I want to show you from God's word about how important it is. And um, there are five short words, easy to remember, that I want us to hold on to um, this morning. And those are the words, Lord, teach us to pray. 
And so this, this was the request of the disciples that they asked Jesus. And that is, that is the request of my heart. And I hope that that's the request of all of our hearts this morning. That we would say, Lord Jesus, teach us how to pray. Let me show you. Um, if you turn back to a few pages in the Gospel of Luke, I'll show you a few places about the priority of it. So, by the way, sorry, my nose is running. I am completely biased towards paper and books. So I would love it if you would join with me in your love of paper and Bibles and pages and all those kinds of things. And I'm going to explain in a few minutes why that's better than your phone. All right, so... Luke chapter 5, verse 15 through 16. I'm, I'll go quick, and I'm just going to show you about the priority of prayer in the life of Jesus. And he says this. This is Luke chapter 5, verse 15. But now, even more, the report about him, referring to, G to Jesus, went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to a desolate place and pray. So huge demands upon the life of Jesus. And he would withdraw to a private place to pray. Next, uh, chapter 6, verse 12. In those days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer to God. We, we see regularly that Jesus really enjoyed mountains. And he would walk up mountains to pray. And he would pray for long hours. That's Luke chapter 6. A couple more pages. Luke chapter 9, verse 18, says this. Now it happened that he was, as he was praying alone. So Jesus would pray up on a mountain. He'd pray with his disciples. He'd pray alone. Skipping to verse 28 of chapter 9. About eight days after these sayings, he took Peter, John, and James, and they went up a mountain to pray. Verse 35, a voice comes out of the cloud saying, this is my son, the chosen one, listen to him. So this is just a few spots just in the gospel of Luke that shows us that Jesus made a priority of prayer in his life. And so this morning... Go back to Luke chapter 11 and those five words, Lord, teach us to pray. Last Sunday, we looked at the word Father. This morning, we will look at the phrase, hallowed be your name. And it's very interesting that translators have stuck with that word. If you get an old translation of the Bible, they use that word. If you get a brand new translation, this is the ESV. It's a very recent translation. They still use that word, hallow. And we'll talk about that in, um, in a moment. But to begin with, I want you to know that Jesus spent his life praying. And we can define prayer as companionship with God. It's talking with God. It's listening to God speak to you through his word and through the spirit. And it's also talking to him. Why is it so hard for us to pray? Why do we um, get so distracted? Well, I did a lot of reading this week, and I learned two new words. Maybe you've heard of them, maybe not. But the two words are attention economy. Have you heard of the words attention economy? Here's what's interesting. I had never heard of these words before, but it is the idea 
that businesses, large businesses, spend massive amounts of money to get your attention and to keep it. In fact, to my surprise, Andrew Yang, Democratic nominee for the president, for the presidency, wrote an opinion paper um, for a major news organization stating that he will start a department of attention economy. And I'll explain this more, but he writes this, just, very, just the introduction. He wrote this, when I look back at my childhood, I remember riding a bike around the neighborhood and playing basketball with friends, but today children are spending their free time on computers and smartphones more than they ride their bikes or play ball. This is written, I think, four days ago. More than half of children ages 8 to 12 have their own tablet and a quarter of them have their own smartphone. Kids are getting hooked on apps like such, such he names apps. Well, that was, that was kind of interesting, and it was, a, it was an okay paper. But what was even more interesting was the New York Times came out, this was, I think, a year ago, with an article called, Finding It Hard to Focus, Maybe It's Not Your Fault. And the author of this does a fair amount of investigating, and he quotes, and I'm just going to give you just a couple things. He quotes a guy named James Williams who spent a decade at Google working on advertising and research and creating data-driven advertising models. He writes this, the current design of our technology is to have an entire army of jets and tanks aimed at capturing and keeping our attention. And the army is winning. We spend our days transfixed by our screens, thumb twitching in subways and elevators, glancing at traffic lights. Wrote this, uh, the article. One study commissioned by Nokia found that as of 2013, people were on their phones an average of 150 times a day, but we touch our phones over 2,600 times a day, according to a 2016 study. He writes this, this is us. Eyes glazed, mouth open, neck crooked, trapped in a dopamine loop with filters of bubbles. Our attention is sold to advertisers along with our data and handed back to us as tattered and piecemeal. He spoke, Mr. James Williams, this is very interesting. He spoke at a conference, a technology conference in Amsterdam, and he was speaking to designers and engineers. He said there were 250 of them in a room, and he said this, how many of you want to live in a world that you are creating with your technology? Not one single hand went up. And so the idea of distractedness, of some new thing to get my attention, it's constant. And to know this, that there are people and businesses that spend massive amounts of time and energy and effort to distract you from one thing to the next, from the sermon, from hearing God's word, from praying. People are spending money that they want to capture you. And they're going to do everything they can to keep you addicted to them. Fascinating. And it, you can, I'll show you where I got the article. Catherine Hayes, an English professor at UCLA, has written about the changes she has seen in students as one of them, as 
as one from deep attention, a state of single-minded absorption, to now students have a hyper-attention, where they are no longer to go deep with material, but they can go um, very well skimming from one thing to the next, just skimming from one thing to the next. In the 1990s, 3 to 5% of American school-aged children were thought to have what is called attention deficit disorder. Today, 2013, estimates are 11% and rising. And how hard it is. There is a major push by businesses, according to the New York Times, to distract you, to keep things coming, to prevent you from focusing because... What they say, attention economy, what makes something valuable is if it's scarce. Scarcity makes something value. And when your attention is constantly distracted from one thing to the next, they will do everything they can to get it. So what effect does this have on our prayer life? It's massive. Because what happens is, this is, I'm speaking from experience, we start praying for about a minute or two minutes maybe, and then we get bored, and then we start thinking about something, and we just can't relax and just enjoy the presence of God. I came across a, a quote from Henry Nguyen this, this week. Let me show it with you. And this, this would be a thrust, a, a specific focus, uh, I would say, of our church, a goal, all right? I think we have it here. And he's writing to pastors, but it, it fits for all of us. But our task is the opposite of distraction. Our task is to help people concentrate on the real but often hidden event of God's active presence in their lives. Hence, the question that must guide all organizing activity in a parish or church is not how to keep people busy, but how to keep them from being so busy that they can no longer hear the voice of God who speaks in silence. And I think that's our problem. We'd rather be busy than be able to hear the quiet voice of God. And God is speaking, and he's patient, and he's kind. But I, I think, and I believe, I think I'm right, that we have to be more alert and more attuned to the distractions that we all face. That This means that we have to learn how to pray, that we have to learn how to not be distraction, distracted. And this morning, the focus is on this short words, hallowed be your name, that God's name is to be sacred, that it's to be held unique, that part of our prayer life is to show reverence and respect and awe to who God is. We want our prayer life to be deep and durable and not constantly changing from one thing to the next. Whatever that thing is, it's trying to grab our attention. That there has to be something more valuable in our lives. So prayer is companionship with God. It is the central focus of Jesus. When you look at his life and ministry, Jesus enjoyed the presence of God. And I think what happens sometimes for us, part of this distraction is that we, we will pray. We will have a prayer life when there is a catastrophe or there's an emergency. Then we can focus. But what I'm talking about 
uh, creating a, a culture of prayer, of companionship with God is about developing, developing habits in our life where we practice the presence of God in our lives. It is true that, that God wants to hear our prayers at all times, and whether it's an emergency, of course God wants that. But when we look at the life of Jesus, you get this sense that he enjoyed the presence of God. And I think that is what I'm striving after, is to, to create that in my own life, create that within our church community, that we, just, we enjoy the presence of God. That you bring all of your life before him. That, that prayer affects everything. We ask questions like this as part of our prayer, prayer life. How, how many hours should I work in a week? How, how do I date well if you're single? How do you, how do you resolve conflict? How do you love your wife or your husband well? How do you parent well? So I'm talking about a prayer life that, that opens every area of our lives. How often should I go to church? When I grew up in Washington State, if it was sunny and 70 degrees out, we'd be like, I'm missing church. It's nice out. It's, it's like, this is like, happens like four times a year. We're going to go do something and play. If you live that way here in Malibu, you, you're never, you'll never come. You'll never be here. It's nice every day. It's, look, it's the end of November, and look at us. I mean, I got my second shirt on for the first time this winter, and it's nice. We're bringing every part of our life to God. So the question is, the disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. And then, so what we'll do just for a little bit this morning, the, the remaining part of our time, is we'll look at this word hallow, and what does this mean? And then how do we live that out? So Jesus begins this way. He begins with the word father, and second word is hallow. And what that means is this. It it means that our prayer life should start vertically, that it starts with God, that the asking part, that will come, and that's a very important part of prayer life, of asking things of God. We talked about that last Sunday. But according to what Jesus is saying, is that our prayer life must begin with God. When we think about this for a moment, how, how do we know what's truly important? How do we know what we, what we, what we really value in life? And I've, I've mentioned this for the years, and it was just shared from somebody else that I'd read, but one of the ways you can do that is you can trace back where your thoughts go when you're completely alone, when you're by yourself. Do we, do we go to... Buying things? Well, sometimes. Do, what, do you, what, do we, what do you ultimately care about? I think earlier in the week, Monday or Tuesday, I was, I was out just trying to get a little bit of exercise, and I was up on top of one of the hills here locally looking at the ocean, and, and it's a beautiful view. And, but then I started thinking about this question, like, like, what do I ultimately care about? And just three things came to my mind very quickly. I didn't think about them at all. And I, I thought, more than anything else, like, I want my boys to know Jesus. I want to just grow old with my wife. And I want to live in a community of people. I want our church community 
I want to do life with you all in a way that's honest about following Jesus. Like, I, I just, I don't want to play games. I don't want to play church. I want a community that wants to be honest. And that, you know what that means? It means people make mistakes. It means we, we all trip and fall, and we don't play religious games. We don't condemn and criticize and freak out because everyone here will make mistakes. But if you understand the gospel correctly, there's forgiveness. And we just want to live honestly with one another. Boys to know Jesus grow old with my wife and be a part of a community that wants to passionately, honestly pursue Jesus Christ. I'm like, I'm, I'm pretty good after that. And there's all the distractions of life. Now, I'll say this. That was when I was in solitude on top of a mountain looking at the ocean. I was being very philo- philosophical and reflecting of life. Just wait till I go home and I'm like, oh, I got to pay a bill. And you're like, ah, oh, crap. And you start thinking about stuff. <laughs> but here's my point. To live life well, you have to start vertically. You have to have a prayer life that begins with God, that knowing who God is. So prioritize. Prioritize God in your life. And Jesus says this, is that we are to hallow his name. As we sang this morning, there's something very, very significant about the name of God. In the Bible, it's really interesting. The Bible has many, many names for God. Just a couple um, for you to even think about, reflect on. Maybe you've heard these before. But in the Old Testament, God is referred to as El Shaddai, Lord God Almighty, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. And so the name of God is very important. It's highly significant. And it's important for us to realize that we live in a culture that mocks the name of God, that takes his name in vain. You probably heard this week, if you watched the, the news a little bit this week, that an electric car company unveiled a brand new truck this week. And it was all exciting. And, and, and if you saw this, you probably know like, that it didn't go according to plan. And the window broke. It was supposed to endure rocks being thrown or whatever it was, a hammer. But what you probably did not know is that on stage spoken very softly were the words F and God's name taken in vain. And we, we live in a culture where there were massive oohs and ahs at every little thing that this truck could do. And it was really interesting to try to just observe and think through this biblically. And it, it reminded me of like a Tower of Babel thing where we just, we just worship the truck. We worship the creation of this. And we can mock God at the same time. That we can use the strongest curse word in the English language and connect it to God. And I didn't know, I almost started like crying inside and, and being angry like, that's where we, that's the culture we live in. And Jesus says this, you are to make that name of God holy. 
So we need to understand this word. The word hallow is the idea that God is worthy of absolute and total devotion. To hallow the name of God means we have the highest reverence. There's a helpful little website called the Blue Letter Bible that gives some background on things. And here's what the author said on on this website. To hallow a thing is to make it holy or set apart to be exalted as being worthy of absolute devotion. To hallow the name of God is to regard him with complete devotion, loving and loving admiration. That God's name is given the utmost importance. And therefore we ought to reserve it in a position of significance in our hearts and minds. We should never take the name of God lightly, but always rejoice in it and think deeply about the true meaning of his name. We should never confuse the patience of God with the judgment of God. God says, as we sang this morning, he is patient But just because God is patient does not mean that there will not be judgment. And we are to never confuse that. I learned that as a teacher early on, and I would communicate that to my students, and I would say, listen, I'm going to be patient with you and understand and be kind, but know this, there will be, there is a line in the sand, and if you cross that line, then consequences come. God is very patient with us, but that does not mean that he does not care about how his name is used. If you hallow anything in your life more than God, it will distort your view of yourself. It will distort your view of life. And and think about that. If there's anything in your life that you value more than God, it will distort your view of yourself and others. We live in a time when you just read about things of emotional instability and and how anxiety rules and controls people. I'm, I'm reading a book right now called The Emotionally Healthy Leader. And thinking about how important it is for us to be emotionally healthy people. You will not be an emotionally healthy person if you value this, or whatever it is, more than God. So to hallow means to show the highest and most deepest respect for God. How do we do this? Here's one simple principle that I'll I'll expand upon, and that is this. Intimacy or closeness with God, which is what I want and what we want, I believe, it requires respect. Intimacy requires reverence or closeness requires reverence. I've mentioned this before, but for 15 years in a row, I would take my students to the tomb of the unknown soldier where there would be a changing of the guard and if you want to get close to that and see that happen, you must be respectful or they will ask you to leave. They will ask you to stand up when it's time to stand up. They will ask you to take off your hat. They will ask you to be quiet. They will confront you publicly 
with a a very loud military voice to stop it if you are being loud or disrespectful. If you want to get close to see this, you have to be respectful. You have to follow the protocol they have set up because it's a place of honor and respect and dignity. If you want to be close to your spouse, you need to show respect. It's just, it's a natural truth. It's a truth, it's a principle of life. That if you want to be close to anyone, you must show reverence and respect. If you want to be close to God, you have to show reverence and respect. And it cannot come from your lips alone. In fact, Isaiah talks about this, about judgment that will come from people who speak reverence from their lips alone and their hearts are far from God. So we, we will become close to God. We will have prayer lives that are active and, and, and durable and, and meaningful when we have respect for God. Well, how does that happen? That, that begins with um, the words that we use, that we are careful and that we don't misuse God's name, that we don't take his name in vain. So Jesus is teaching us to pray and he's very precise and he begins with just two words so far. Father, that means come anytime. That comes, you can come at 2 a.m., right? We've talked about this. If you call me at 2 a.m., I'll probably be a little bit grumpy unless this is a crisis. But if you're thirsty for water and say, hey, can you come over and give me a drink of water? I'm like, what are you doing? You don't call me. If it's your child who's two years old and they say, daddy, I'm thirsty, then come anytime. So learning to pray God our Father means you can ask anything. It means you come dependent. But to hallow God's name means that you come with respect, that you understand who God is, that he is omnipotent. What are some practical ways that we can do this of hallowing God's name in our lives? One way is just by doing this, by coming together and singing and participating and learning and growing. One of my favorite psalms is this, Psalms 95, it says this, come let us worship and bow down. And here's the key word, the word us. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God. We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. Listen to the voice. So public worship, like coming together We hallow God's name together in our lives. We remember and renew our love for Christ. Hebrews 10 says this, Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do and go surfing and hiking and playing. No, it doesn't say that. (laughs) It, It says, We are to encourage one another to hallow God's name, to lift up his name because he is worthy of total devotion. Our prayer life is to include private worship. That we are to use the words that Jesus uses in Mark chapter 14 when he says, Abba, Father. That there is a complete dependence. We all face situations in our life that we just don't know the answer. We don't know how to handle this. We don't know how to resolve this. And so in our private life, we speak 
our dearest Heavenly Father, we need your help. Let me share with you a, a short prayer. This was written in the late 300s by a church father named Gregory. And um, it, it's pretty short, but let me just share it with you. It's interesting to read something from the year 370, I think this was written, about how, how would somebody approach Hallowed Be Thy Name in the year 370, a pastor named Gregory. Here's what he writes. Therefore, when I pray, Hallowed Be Thy Name, the meaning of these words apply to me actualizing God's blessings. Lord, through, your co- through the cooperation of your help, may I become blameless, just, and pious. And we don't use the word pious anymore, but it's the idea of reverently devoted to God. Abstaining from every evil, may I speak the truth, practicing righteousness and walking on the straight path. May I shine with prudence. May I be adorned with incorruption and be beautified with wisdom and discernment, overlooking the earthly things, that I might, that I might set my mind on the things above and be radiant with the angelic manner of life. These and such blessings are contained in this brief petition by the one who prays, hallowed be thy name. One of the things, and I'll finish with this, one of the things that's really interesting when you study the Bible and the, from the Old Testament to the New Testament is that when, when you read in the Old Testament about holiness and God, um, it's often and regularly associated with the temple and with worship and with a place and with the Ark of the Covenant and with um, utensils and things that were part of worship because that's where the presence of God was. But here's what's interesting. In the New Testament, you don't find that. Why, did that all, why does that all go away? What's really interesting is that the focus is no longer on a temple or utensils or the Ark of the Covenant. The change that happens is that the Holy Spirit comes and fills our lives. And so the focus is no longer on places or things, but it's on your life. It's on people's lives. Let me, let me show you. So the word hallowed is a Greek word for holiness. And guess, think about how often this is connected. The Holy Spirit. And guess what? how Paul refers often to believers. He doesn't refer to us as Christians. He uses the word saints. Exact same root word. Here's what I found myself, I haven't done this in a while, but I found myself getting really excited this week reading from a dictionary. And that was, here's, let me share one small part of this about this word. The Greek word is hagios, and there's different forms of that. But the word saints comes from that word. So people who follow Christ are referred to as saints. Here's what it says it's interesting. In the Pauline epistle, so these are the letters that Paul writes to churches. Those who name Jesus as their Lord are called hoi hagioi, the saints. This was primarily not an ethical expression. Like, oh, that person's so holy. It wasn't used that way. Here's what it, how it was used. It, it implies 
in association with the Holy Spirit. Christ is our sanctification as well as our righteousness and redemption. You were washed, sanctified, and you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In all of these cases, holiness implies a personal relationship with God, which is expressed not primarily through the temple rituals, like the Old Testament, but through the fact that believers are led by the Hagioi Spirit, the Holy Spirit. At the same time as in the Old Testament, it demands a behavior which rightly lines up with the Holy Spirit. So there's a transition that happens. The focus is now on our lives. We hallow God's name by how we choose to live. Listen to the connection with Old Testament language. This is Romans 12, chapter 1. It says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so there's a connection. That, that is language from the Old Testament of living sacrifices. And so if I can communicate this to you, that to hallow God's name as we pray that, that there has to be a transformation that happens in our lives that goes along with that, that partners that. Jesus says, I'm going to teach my disciples how to pray. And we're going to start with the word Father, and we're going to continue with the word hallow. And we're going to, in 2019 Malibu, we're going to know that we live in a world that is fighting for your attention, that is trying to pull you away from a prayer life, that's trying to pull you away from Jesus Christ. And we need to be aware of the culture that we live in. And we need to live um, together authentically and I am, I'm the chief ADD person here. I know you probably all rival me with that. Like, you'd be like, no, that's me. It's true of all, it's hard to focus. It's hard to pay attention. And here's just some simple things. Maybe it just means you got to wake up at 4.30 in the morning. I don't know. Find a quiet place. The alarm went off in my house for the boys to go surf at, I don't know what time, 5.30, 5.45. I'm like, already? It's going... So I, your family dynamics, figure out a way to have a cup of coffee or tea, whatever you do, with God's word open and enjoy God's presence. Learn to enjoy the companionship that God is offering with you. And slow down. Listen, it's Thanksgiving's next week, right? Then Christmas. It's just like pedal to the metal, full speed ahead. Don't do it. Just don't do it. I had a friend of mine... I had a friend, he's a good friend, and I said, can you help me meet with some of the leaders in our church and go over this situation? You know what he told me? No. <laughs> and he said, you know, and he explained himself. He said, Brian, I would normally, but I've committed to these things already, and I've made a commitment to my wife and my family. I'm not doing it anymore. So you can say that. You can say no, it's okay. Slow. I don't know when Mr. Brian Renner started saying this, but 
something along the lines of less is more. What's really important to you? Well, our relationship with Jesus Christ, our relationships with our family, our friends. Learn to say no to the wrong things. Say yes to the right things. And the ultimate right thing is your own companionship with God through Jesus Christ. Renew your commitment to that this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to sit quietly for just a moment in your presence. Our distractions already creeping into our minds about the rest of the day. Pray that as we continue singing, we can enjoy your presence. You are our good Father. Your name is worthy of praise. It's worth of holiness. And so we ask that that would be our prayer. That as we continue just for a couple minutes here in, in singing and worship, that we would enjoy your presence, not rush off to the next thing. You're so good to us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.